Which bounce back candidates could the New York Mets buy low on in free agency to help their lineup next season? We'll discuss that on today's show. You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans who are listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets, free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, we are looking at free agents who could bounce back that would help the Mets lineup next season. In the first segment, I'm going to go through some bounce back candidates that you could talk me into, but really I don't think they're an ideal fit from this free agent class. In the second segment, we're going to look at some outfielders that I think could plug some holes for the Mets in a bounce back year next year, similar to Tommy Pham last year. Then in the final segment, we'll look at a pair of infielders. Before we get to any of it, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on X at Finkelstein Ryan. Also, in some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. At last offseason, the New York Mets signed Tommy Pham to a one-year, $6 million deal. At the time, I was not high on the signing because he wasn't coming off a good season, really wasn't coming off a good last couple of years. But the Mets bet on a bounce back, and bounce back he did. He had a great season with the Mets, ends up getting traded at the deadline. It's been a big part of the Arizona Diamondbacks team that's in the World Series right now. So Tommy Pham showed that even later in a player's career, there is always that chance that they can put it all together again and give you a great season on a one-year deal. So what I wanted to do today is find out who the next guy could be. And I actually made a whole list of bounce-back candidates that is going to be featured in an article, uh, just baseball.com, probably later this week, going through a whole laundry list. I think the final list I have is about 12 names on it. I might get cut down to 10, but there's a lot of potential on this market when it comes to the bounce back category, because let's just be honest, this is a bad class. So there's a lot of guys who are hitting free agency off a down year, or maybe teams are going to have to take a shot on some of these guys, just hoping that they will turn things around because otherwise it might be hard to find a player that can supplement your roster in free agency. We're going to begin with the guys that I think you could make an argument for the Mets to go after him, but I ultimately believe they should pass. And that conversation begins with Joey Gallo. He had 21 home runs this past year as a Minnesota twin in 111 games, struck out over 40% of the time. Gallo has not been good for about two and a half years. Okay. Wasn't good in 2022, had 19 home runs, but just bad numbers across the board. The strikeouts, the average, just remarkably low. Uh, you know, to hit, you know, 25 points below the Mendoza line, being the 170s or the 160s with your average. I mean, just think about how frustrating that is as a fan watching the guy where he's only going to get a hit, you know, not even two times out of every 10 at-bats. That's rough. Now, with that said, he does walk. So that does make it a little bit better where he can get the on-base percentage up a little bit. This past season, the on-base percentage was at 300. Um, I think a little, like maybe a tick, tick or two above 300, but the 300 on base with 20 home runs, there is some value to be extracted there. I don't want to say this guy's not a big leaguer anymore. Uh, I mean, this past year he walked 
about 15% of the time. That is good, but you need more. And he's not a great defender anymore. He's still good. Like he still has the arm. He can still be okay out in right field or playing center in a pinch left field. I just don't think the fit is there for the Mets because I, I, I would hate to see Joey Gallo in the lineup every day, striking out you know, 40% of the time. It's going to be rough. And it's hard to construct a team around a guy like that. You know, if you have the right roster, maybe he does complement as just a power left-handed bat. But I, I just don't think this is the year the Mets should be going after a guy like Gallo. Similar build as Jesse Winker. Um, not as much power, I guess, but just the the value right now is presently tied to his ability to draw walks and get on base. Uh, but he's not a great defensive outfielder either. Uh, Gallo, I think, is better in that regard. Jesse Winker is just someone that's interesting to note because there's like this you know, love-hate affair with Mets fans and Winker because he has played that villain role as a red coming into the ballpark and just egging on the crowd. So I feel like he would be a fan favorite for the Mets. And hey, if you can sign him on a minor league deal, by all means. And maybe that's where he's at in his career. He's had a couple of really bad years, was awful with the Brewers this year. He had a 65 WRC plus. That's way to runs created plus measuring hitters based on a league average of 100. So he was 35% worse than your league average hitter. He's also a guy that in his career, his strikeout rate is 17.9%. And this year it was 25.9%. So that's illustrating a guy that looks lost at the plate compared to what he used to always have, which was the plate discipline. I'd honestly hate it, not because I have anything against Winker. I just don't believe in him as a player at this point. With that said, I was saying the exact same thing about Tommy Pham last offseason. So I, I can be wrong in these instances. I, I just And he is he's 30 years old, so it's not like he's over the hill. Uh, maybe he does bounce back in a big way. I just don't necessarily foresee that. Jerkson Perfar is the next guy on our list. You know, he is 30 years old as well. 2022 had one of the better seasons of his career at the Padres. Hit 243, 331 on base, 391 slug. He had 15 home runs. He played good defense. Had a 111 WRC plus. So he was 11% better than a league average hitter. He was worth 2.6 wins when it comes to wins above replacement. This year, he hit 242. Pretty much on line with what he did the previous season. 321 on base, 10 points down. 368 slug, only had nine home runs, so the slug was definitely down. But overall, his WRC plus dropped to 76, 24% worse than your league average hitter. I don't think that he was drastically worse, but the numbers would suggest that he was, and a lot of that is tied to the fact that he just didn't tap into the same amount of power hitting those home runs. And also, you know, he was playing at, at Coors Field to start the year and, and couldn't couldn't succeed with that. Um, you know, he goes to the Padres at the end of the year, 14 games really did well. Uh, and maybe that's the secret sauce for jerks and profile. He needs to be a Padre and you know, maybe they're, you know, they're in a mode right now where they might be looking to, to save a little bit money. Um, you know, profile could be a cheap fit for them, but he was worth minus two wins above replacement this year. So he went from positive 2.6 wins of a replacement to minus two. That's a four and a half win swing. It's pretty brutal. So he's definitely due to bounce back from that. But the fit on the Mets roster does not make sense to me, which leads me to the last guy, one that I tried to talk myself into. I really did. That's Kike Hernandez, 32 years old, really fallen off over the last two years. Had a great first season with the Boston and 20 with, with the Boston. Had a great first season with the Boston. 
Red Sox uh, in 2021, where he put up a career best for F4. Uh, but he was a league average player last year, below average player this year. Playing shortstop did not help him in that regard. He was just not good at the position. You know, you can talk me into the idea of Kike Hernandez being able to play all these different positions and the winning experience he brings. I just don't think for the 2024 Mets it makes sense. And the reason I say that is the same thing I was talking about on yesterday's show as it relates to Louis Guillaume. And it's just the idea that you need to keep playing time open for these kids coming up. And I just don't want to see someone like Kike Hernandez take at bats away from Ronnie Mauricio. You know, if it comes to that role of being able to play a bunch of different positions, I want those at bats going to Mauricio primarily. Eventually, if Luis and Helicuna can come up. And then Jeremiah Jackson is the other prospect that I was mentioning on yesterday's show. Guy that has to be protected from the Rule 5 draft, who can play all these different positions, is way younger and showcased some pop in double A this year. So I think I'd rather see what you have for the future with those guys than to have a journeyman like Kike come in to help a team that might just be in the wildcard hunt this year. We still don't know how good the Mets are ultimately going to be. I think too much of their success is hinged on the prospects to waste playing time on guys that are north of 30 who don't present a clear upgrade. Whereas the guys that I'm going to get to in the final two segments, first we're going to be looking at outfielders in the next segment, are players who I believe have a ceiling that they can raise where it'd be worth it to maybe take some playing time from the young guys to get one of those more established outfielders in there. We'll discuss that next. First, though, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get on the action with the NFL season that's been in full swing, the NBA season has tipped off, and you still got a little bit of World Series left. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options available, including betting on the spread, player props. Let's just say you think that Tommy Pham, we're talking about bounce back, guys. Tommy Pham's going to homer tonight. You can lay a little bet on that, and imagine the odds are long enough that you could be cashing out on a pretty nice, uh, set of winnings there if that bet in particular came through. There's also over-unders, parlays, so much more. If you want to play today, visit FanDuel.com slash on to kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Before we discuss the outfielders I believe could complement this roster next season, I want to tell you all about Subtext and becoming a Locked On Mets insider. This is a text message service where you get updates from me on your favorite team, and you also can communicate back and forth with me. We can have an open conversation. You can shoot me a text with any questions you have. I'm always open to answer anything that's in my way from a Locked On Mets insider. And It's honestly been a really good way to just, I think, raise the overall content on this show because now I have more sounding boards to use before I hit record. So if you want to join, you can find the link in the episode description or go to subtext.com slash locked on Mets. Come a locked on Mets insider today. Now let's look at the outfielders. I had a couple on this list that really didn't have down years. It's more just the health, the injuries. And Adam Duvall was one where I feel like it's 
a little disingenuous to call him a bounce back candidate because he had one of the best seasons of his career. Um, he hit 21 home runs in 90, I think it was 92 games. He hit 247, 303 on base, 531 slugs. So that's an OPS of 834, which is really good compared to some of the hitters on the Mets. His WRC plus was 116, so 16% better than your league average hitter. He was nearly worth two wins in those 90-some-odd games, 1.9 F4. He started off the season as the hottest hitter on the planet and was hurt for a big part of the middle um, of the season, but got back out there and overall was productive. He can play center field still, but is probably best served in a corner. Adam Duvall, even though he's 34 years old, I would sign up for him in a heartbeat. I, I discussed him a lot last offseason as a potential fit before the Mets signed Tommy Pham. I think he makes a ton of sense for this Mets team. You know, if you have Adam Duvall and DJ Stewart as your uh, platoon out in left field, so to speak, and you know, when I say platoon, I think that Duvall could command more playing time still. He's not just going to face only left-handed pitching, even though he, he does do well in that regard as a right-handed bat. But I, I really think that Duvall just adds so much to this team that it would be worth it to sign him, even if it costs a little bit more money than some of these other guys we're going to mention. And again, he doesn't necessarily fall under the line of a bounce back candidate. It's just wondering, can he stay healthy? Something that he has struggled to do uh, throughout his career. Michael Brantley, another one where didn't really have a down year. He just wasn't on the field. He only played 15 games this season for the Astros, added on eight more in the postseason. He'll turn 37 uh, before next year. You know, he's a tough case as far as the injuries. Uh, he just has really struggled to stay on the field. But when he's healthy, he's sure that he can still hit. So I, I like Michael Brantley uh, as an option to you know, DH a little bit, play some, some left field. Uh, but I still don't think that's the best option on the market, particularly when it comes to the outfielders. I thought about this a lot. And honestly, I was initially going to say no on Harrison Bader. But I've come around the more I thought about it. He's 29 years old, another guy that has struggled with health. Uh, is barely walking anymore. The walk rate was under 5% the last couple of years, which is not good. But he doesn't strike out too much. And, you know, he is an exceptional defensive center fielder. So the fact that he brings that value with his glove is always going to help his bottom line when you're trying to decide whether he is worth a role or a contract. The fact that he plays great defense just helps him. And this past year, he took that athleticism that he has and he translated to the bases with the new rules and swiped 20 bags. So now you add that to his game. You know, 2021, he had 16 home runs. I don't know if he's ever going to clear 15 home runs again, but he does have enough pop to run into one. He can play all three spots in the outfield. He's right-handed, so that complements what you might have with Stewart and Nimmo as two left-handed uh, outfielders potentially as far as their bats are concerned. And Jeff McNeil when he's in the outfield. That's another lefty. So this would give you a righty to complement that. And there's the other element of this that I think makes it even better, which is the fact that he was teammates with Pete Alonso back at the University of Florida. Um, not to just appease Pete Alonso, but I, I think the Mets need to try to create a, a different chemistry in that clubhouse. And if you were to put Bader into the mix, Maybe you would get a slightly better version of Pete Alonso in a contract here. He's already got enough to play for, but that could take him that extra step to being even better. So I actually really like the fit the more I talk it out. Now, this was bounce back candidate, so he's coming off a down year. I also like Michael Taylor a lot too. He's not coming off a down year. And if I had to pick between the two of them, 
think I'm probably taking Michael Taylor, but I really like the clubhouse connection for Bader, his age. He has played in New York before. He could be really good, and he showed out in the playoffs last year for the Yankees. So maybe if you get to that big stage, he's a guy who might elevate his performance a little bit. But if he's on the roster, it would be great because when he starts, you could shift Nimmo into left field, get him you know, a little bit of an ease on his workload than having to play center field every single day. That's really nice for the Mets. They could DH Nimmo a little bit to get Bader out there. And I think he's just a solid player, even if you want to stick him in right field with Nimmo in center and Marte's out. I, I think Harrison Bader would be the type of guy that could have a really big season, if healthy, uh, where he would really outperform that contract. I, I still think that there's a four-win player in there when he's on the field all the time, and if he can get into a good rhythm offensively. It's just a, a level he has not been able to hit the last few seasons because of injury mostly and also a lack of performance when actually out on the field. Now, though, to close for our final segment, infielders. There's one infielder in particular that I actually love on the New York Mets. There's another who is more about his bat, and I'm interested in it. I'm at least intrigued by the possibility. So we'll get to these last two names in just a minute. First, though, another word from our sponsors. Now let's take a look at a couple of infielders that could help the Mets this offseason. Looking at bounce back candidates again. So this is not looking at the entire market and identifying fits. There are more fits out there for guys that are coming off good seasons and good seasons generally relate to good pay. These are guys you can buy low on like you did with Tommy Pham and hope that they explode and have a big season for you. Gary Cooper is an interesting one for me. Uh, he for his career is a 268 hitter, 337 on base, 435 slug. That means that for his career, his OPS is 772, which is not bad. His career WRC plus is 110, 10% better than the league average hitter. He's good, and he mashes lefties. They sure hit 324 against left-handed pitching. So as a right-handed DH, uh, backup first baseman makes some sense. Here's the issues. This year was a down year in some respects. Hit 251, 302 on base, 419 slug. Got out there 123 times, so 123 games played, career high. Also set a career best with 61 runs driven in, hit 17 home runs. The issue, though, is the Marlins, who were going for it, decided to just cut ties with him at the deadline to clear room for Josh Bell. So that showed the lack of faith they had in Garrett Cooper after years where it felt like he was their best hitter. I don't know where I am with him because there's part of me that says, yeah, you know what, he's a good hitter, go for it. But I think the bigger side of me says – why spend on Garrett Cooper when you can just sign J.D. Martinez for more? If money's not an object, don't settle for a bat only that's not necessarily even a great bat. If you're going to get a bat only player like Daniel Vogelback was this past year, you need to make sure that that bat is going to be awesome. And for me, I think there's better options coming off better seasons, which is why they're not included on the show today, uh, who can fill that void. The one that I really like, though, it's Giovanni Urshela. You guys might remember, played with the Yankees at the beginning of his career. He's now 32 years old. This guy hits. 2022, he hit 285. This past year, he hit 299. Now, he doesn't walk a ton, so 
that limits his on-base value. When you see someone hitting 285, you'd hope that they're going to get on base at least a 350 clip. And for that season in 2022, he got on base at a 338 clip. This year, he got on base at a 329 clip. So he leaves some desired there. He doesn't have a ton of power. Hit 13 bombs in 2022, had a 119 WRC plus. So he was 19% better than your league average hitter. 2.4 F war. So he was about a two and a half win player. That's really solid. This past year, though, he only had two home runs in 62 games. So how much power does he still have? That's to be decided. He does fare really well against lefties. He hit 373 against them this year. But the reason why I like Gio Urshela for the New York Mets is he complements the roster really well. If you look at what you're hoping from your former top prospects, you want Brett Bay to grab that job at third base. Gio Urshela, though, is the perfect complement in the sense that he plays great defense. He can face off against lefties, so he gives you that platoon option. And if Brett Beatty isn't good or he gets hurt, Urshla can step in, be your starting third baseman. You won't miss a beat. Honestly, compared to the way Beatty played this year, it would be an improvement. But you still have to leave that open real estate for the kids to grab those jobs. Urshla would just be a really nice fit that you could plug in, play him at third. If you need to play him a shortstop at a pinch, you could second as well. But you know, mainly it would be the idea of having him face left-handed pitching in the starting lineup at third base, give Brett Beatty a blow, and give you a real insurance plan on him. So I, I like Urshela a lot. I think if the Mets were to go through this offseason and they were to just sign the two guys that I have spoken highliest of on this show, which was Bader and Urshela, the roster would make a lot of sense and it would be the type of roster that complements the young players well to give them every opportunity to succeed next season. Because there's not these high-priced players that are getting in their way for playing time. And for Bader, what does he bring? Speed defense. For Urshela, what does he bring? Defense and, I guess, a hit tool as far as hitting for a high average. If those guys were at the back of your lineup, let's just say Bader was batting eighth and Urshela was ninth. Bader got him first, still second. And now all you need is a hit from a guy who nearly hit to a 300 average this year. I like them a lot. I think the team overall, though, would leave something to be desired if that was the only moves the Mets made. Now, let's just say they went out and they traded for Juan Soto. And your roster is pretty much the same as we've been discussing, except for it's Juan Soto, not DJ Stewart in the outfield. Or maybe you have both of them, and it's Juan Soto and Mark Vientos was traded as part of the package to get Juan Soto. I think in that circumstance where you have Soto, Lindor, Alonzo, Nemo, McNeil, Alvarez, those last three spots in your lineup, which, you know, Beatty would be competing for the third base job. Mauricio would be competing for some time. Obviously, you know, Vientos, like there is a world where, you know, you get Juan Soto and you don't have to do much else because the team is still in pretty good standing, especially when you think about the youth coming up. That one big bat would be the answer. And then with that bat, you could compliment him by getting Bader to be able to take Soto off his feet at the end of the games to play some defense um, and also to back up Nemo in center. So there's a lot of ways that see Bader functioning on the roster. And the same thing can be said about Urshela. They would be underwhelming if done by themselves. But if you make a big swing on a guy like Soto, I, I think those types of additions are the ones that will take a good team and potentially – 
push it over the top to become a great team. Anyway, that's going to be all for this edition of Locked on Mets. Uh, tomorrow's show, unless there's something newsworthy, we're going to do the same thing, but look at bounce back pitchers. So make sure you check that out. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. We're trying to make a push to 10,000 subs. So appreciate all of you who do that. Follow wherever you get your podcast. Follow me on X at Finkelstein Ryan and follow the show at Locked on Mets.